Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! What's up, fellas? Back for our last week in First Peter. It's been a blast. You guys having fun? A blast. Oh, yeah. You're miss to, me? Sad to see you go. Yeah. I'll sing that graduation song. Send me a card. I will. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's been a blast. I hope you guys have uh, been as convicted as we've been mm-hmm. uh, just diving into God's Word. And I love learning from Peter, the heart of Peter, a man that walked right next to Jesus, a man that had some really crazy highs and some really low lows, but um, just learning from uh, his heart and obviously the inspired word of God as he talks to exiles, people that are in a far off place about what it looks like to honor Jesus um, in, in enemy territory, so to speak, right? Yeah. In, into a, in a culture that doesn't value the things that the people of God are supposed to value. So very relevant. Some of it's been pretty weighty, pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as God's word always does, it's right on time for the things that we're, we're dealing with here uh, in our culture right now. So how do we handle suffering? Um, what are the practical ways it looks like that we can serve and honor God on a day-to-day basis? Uh, but, but, but most importantly, where that flows from, which is a proper perspective on whose we are, yeah. not who we are, but whose we are, Amen. which is uh, sons of the King. So uh, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll dive in again. <clears throat> Father God, uh, we just we thank you for another uh, time to get together and uh, dive into your word. What a what a blessing it's been uh, to unpack the book of First Peter and uh, to hear from you. Your word uh, never returns empty, and I know for me personally, it's been a very convicting study. So I just thank you for that, God. Uh, I thank you for your calling that is higher than we could ever uh, hope or imagine. And even though we're incapable uh, of, of completely fulfilling it, God, you, you give us more uh, through your spirit than we could ever hope or imagine. So, God, we just, we just praise you for that. God, may we look more like you. May we love more like you. May we point more people to you because of our time spent in this word, God. So we just pray this last week that you'd show us something new, something fresh, um, that it may overflow into the lives of others, and that you may get the glory, God. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 <clears throat> yeah, so we're, if you've been following along through the series, we're in chapter 4, verse 12. That's where we're starting today. Uh, and we're going to talk again, as Peter has hit over and over and over again. This is probably my favorite of the passages that he mentions regarding suffering. He starts this way. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And I want to stop right there and, and hit two things, especially as uh, Christians, that we need to see in this verse and in this passage. Um, don't be surprised at the trials as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is saying, uh, suffering is coming. I think about my own walk. I think this happens to a lot of Christians. When we experience suffering, strife, trial, difficulty, 
we come to a mindset that we, we're, uh, we can't believe it. How could this happen to me? Why would a good God allow this to happen? How could things be this way? I think about when I experienced my first tremendous um, amount of anxiety, I was so surprised. I'm, I'm not an anxious person. My disposition, no, I'm, I'm always carefree, happy, funny guy. Uh, that, that couldn't happen to me. I, that wouldn't be, I was surprised. And what happened was, is I ended up being depressed that I was anxious. I was disappointed, frustrated that I was upset. I was upset that I was upset. Mm. And that tends to throw a wrench in so many Christians walk as we're surprised when suffering comes. And what Peter's saying is, you can't be. Don't be surprised. And he's not like throwing a beer to you being like, life sucks, dude, better get used to it. That's not his mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, who I mentioned last week, a woman who suffered tremendously. She lost two husbands far too early. Uh, has a great little line about what it means to suffer. She says, let's not forget that if we don't ever want to suffer, we must be careful never to love anything or anybody. Here's the reality is we live in a fallen world, Mm -hmm. right? Sin came in the garden and since then, things and people have died. And unfortunately, we love those things and people. And so if we ever love, we're going to suffer. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of a fallen world. God didn't create it that way. But the reality of our sin is we live in a world where the things that we love perish and we need to not be surprised by that. But what's beautiful is not just, uh, we're not being moved to apathy. Like, well, lost another good one. As God says here, that even he can redeem that. He says, when it comes upon you to test you, when the trial comes to test you, this Mm. iterates something he said back in chapter one, verse seven. But Burke uh, our suffering serves to test our faith. Can you explain this a little bit for us? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've, we've made some, some coachisms through the deal. Like, you know, that fiery test is going to kind of reveal where your hope is, where your faith is, yeah. uh, how strong your roots are. Um, you know, I wrote um, that our... You know, that when Jesus says, I, you know, John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're going to face trials. And in my experience is when we do, you know, you, you find out, okay, is God my king? Am I running towards him? Or is my view of him distorted enough where I'm running away from him and blaming him? Not, not that that mean, means you're not saved because yeah. wrestling with God and yeah. being angry with with God is a very real emotion. We saw it with David, right? Um, but, but what I love about the first part of that, that verse, uh, most of the time we, we, we quote the second part, in this world you have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. But the first part, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Like Jesus didn't come to deliver us from the bad things of the world. Jesus came to give us a hope that is bigger than the bad things of the world. Um, and so, you know, Peter's like, hey, dude, when you're in these fiery trials, like, yeah, you're going to find out where your peace comes from. And I know for me, even though I would never ask them of them, yeah. uh, and I, I know so many others that fall into this category. I remember Monty Williams talking yeah. about his press conference after uh, an impaired driver killed his wife of the mother of his five kids. Yeah. He had this peace that was like so supernatural and the world was so drawn to it because that's not normal. Like you're watching it on TV going, whoa, 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 whoa. Whatever that dude is filled with, 
I don't have, like, you know what I mean? And so yeah. the world was drawn to this peace that only Jesus offers that flowed out of him. Yeah. Uh, that again, he, I'm sure he still mourns it every day, but like he, it was revealed in that fire. Yeah. That's, so Peter says, as a Christian, suffering is inevitable, but there's a way for the Lord to redeem it. Mm. It's a test of our faith, not if we're strong or not, but the source of our strength. Mm-hmm. You said that really well. Mm-hmm. But he's able to redeem it if, if we suffer in a way that is glorifying to him. And he starts to help us do that in verse 13. In 14, he says, but rejoice. Don't be surprised when the test comes, when the fire comes, when the suffering comes. But rejoice insofar as you share with Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you were blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So an easy turn there, Sam. We move from suffering is inevitable. You're going to experience it. Here's how you experience it. And he says, but rejoice. How on earth can we do that amidst suffering? Think again, keeping it in context, we have to recognize we as Christians are not now suddenly gluttons for punishment. Like yeah. We don't enjoy to suffer. Yeah, this isn't masochism. It's right, right. It's not like, oh, this is all falling on me. Yay, this is what I was hoping for. Right. No, but like the testing reveals what you just talked about, what's truly underneath. And when we see that we are within God's kingdom, that's the blessed life. We talked about that last week. Uh, another biblical author writes about uh, that, we can, that we might share in the sufferings of Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. So there's this unity that we experience in going through what our Christ has gone through for us. Um, but to your point about that peace, Burke, like I run to with this idea almost every time Philippians 4, which is Paul, who's on awaiting death row. Mm. And he's like, man, they're going to kill me. Maybe I'll go be with Jesus. They keep me locked up while I'm converting the guards and Caesar's <laughs> palace, people there, his, his, his family. They let me go. I'm going to go spread the gospel to people so then they'll grab me and arrest me again. I'll, I'll convert those guards or they'll kill me and I'll go be with Jesus. You can't stop it. Mm. And so that's in that context, he says, rejoice. Mm-hmm. I say again, rejoice. Like we quoted that a few weeks ago. That's the reality of living with this eternal perspective mm. of who your king is. That's the context in which we can rejoice amidst our sufferings. Mm. I was planning on using this quote later, but I think now's the time. Uh, John Newton says, to your point, he says, in light of suffering, he says, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Mm. So remember that suffering definition we gave last week. Suffering is if it's having what you do not want or wanting what you do not have, then everything that God allows you to have he can use to better you, to test you, to grow you, to bring glory to himself. Mm-hmm. Everything that you don't have, it's not necessary. He's withholding it. He's, he's, not, he's a God who, Philippians 4, 19, all of our needs are met in Christ Jesus. And if that's the case, what am I to do in suffering? Am I to yeah, kind of get lost in what I don't have or to trust a God who gives me what I need? I, yeah, that's, yeah, I wanted to use it later, but you brought a good point then. So, um, Then we go on in verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Verse 18 reads, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly sinner? So a couple of things Peter does here that I think are helpful. One is he separates um, suffering as a result of living in a fallen world and suffering as a result of our own individual sin. That's mm-hmm. good. He says, let n- which can be a, a big issue in the church. Like, absolutely. You know, we talked last week about not being sympathetic or compassionate. Like I, I don't feel guilty for not having compassion for somebody that's in, in their brokenness and don't see that it was their brokenness that has gotten them to this point. Now that doesn't mean I'm just like, sorry, dude, but like there has to be a level of ownership over why you are where you are for you to potentially either get out of that mess or to not fall into it again. Um, But the woe is me on stuff that you intentionally pursued is like, Hey bro, we need to have a little bigger conversation here. Like, forgive me if I'm not like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, and I'm a sinner just like you, but there, let's recognize the why here yeah, and the quit Lord. blaming. Quit, certainly we're not blaming him for that. Mm. Uh, and we don't need to be blaming them either. Like, let's yeah. talk about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's a good, because the reality of where I can, <laughs> even my own suffering, it comes upon me. I can want to so quickly pity myself when the reality is he's saying there's a, there's a difference. God can redeem all of it and wants to, but there's a difference that starts with who's owning it. Is yep. this a result of this has happened to you or has this happened because of you? Is it important can, thing? Can I just give mind. a dad example real quick? Please. We're, we're at the beach uh, two weeks ago. Pauly's Island, little slice of heaven. Thumbs up if you're looking for a place to go, okay? Our last day there, which, you know, it's, we've had a week, like who, you know, a week at the beach. I mean, we're, I never get a week there because I'm usually in and out at calling games. It's been an unbelievable trip. But everybody, you know, that last day, it's like you want to use every minute of it. My daughter, I'm on a call getting ready for the draft. My daughter is playing a game with her cousins in the house where she has a f- eye mask over herself, trips and hits the corner of a table. Oh. First of all, why aren't you out at the beach? Second of all, why are you wearing something over your eyes and you got hurt like that was dumb <laughs> so they come to me oh Sydney, blah, blah, blah. I'm like okay well what happened you know and I'm like I, I, I'm sorry I don't I don't have that great a heart for that like that was stupid uh-huh. and here we go so off we go to the emergency room this that, and the other so we're sitting in the deal and she just wants to I think she can feel that I'm like oh, you know so she's cuddling up to me and I'm just like here we got to have like, baby. And I was getting more upset. The more it was like, look what's happened to me. Yeah. Like, Hey babe. And so finally the Holy Spirit was really like, I was trying my best boys to be sympathetic and compassionate. It's like, finally we got to that place where it was like, you did this. You made a bad decision. Something bad happened. And now we're paying the consequences. It's okay. It's not mad. We just, I just need you to own it. Yeah. And then I can get over it. And that defeats the proclivity some of us have towards a woe is me personality. Exactly. Everything that happens, bah, I just, uh, but that last verse in this section on suffering, um, Sam mentioned a memory verse last week. If you're going to memorize a verse this week, I would say this is one of them. Therefore, verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is like a thesis. Mm. Of, of Peter's perspective on suffering. Three things I want to point out in this verse. Therefore, 
let those who suffer according to God's will. And now you can have believers of the Bible disagree about what this means, but at the very least, according to God's will means that this is not out of his control. It's not beyond his scope. He is both omniscient and omnipresent and third, importantly, omnipotent. He's got all knowledge, he's everywhere and he has all power. So your suffering, he has at the very least allowed it. At the very least. At the very that's least. Right. That's, bi- that's big news for us to say, well, for those of us who shake our fist, and, and I don't want to shame you for doing so. I've wrestled, God, why would you let this mm-hmm. happen? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Do we trust God? Mm. He is, if he's all powerful and all knowing, is he able to allow things to happen to us, to test us, to give us <clears throat> difficult gifts in ways that combat what we would think are good or wise on his part? If he's God, he knows. If I'm not, I don't. Which captivating that, fellas, is so important to this next part. We have to recognize if he's all powerful, all good, that your suffering is not outside of his control, which means he's able to use it, redeem it, restore it for his glory and for kingdom purposes. That should allow us to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. I think this is really interesting. Peter knew Jesus, right? He's not talking about redeemer, restorer, uh, salvation, deliverer. He runs to a faithful creator. That's who we're trusting. When my iPhone breaks, I don't slide in to the White Castle and say, fellas, my screen's <laughs> broke, can you help me out? Where do I go? People who made it. Apple Store. I run to the creator and I say, uh, you know how this works best. You made it. You know what's broken about it. You know how to fix it. You're the mm. only one, would you? So this trust in an all good, good all powerful yeah. God allows us to turn to a creator who not only knows us, but is faithful creator. We can see the evidence of his faithfulness by dying for us, for our sin on the cross. It's by, by that captivating, beautiful truth that we get to see he's powerful in our suffering, but he also knows and is faithful with our suffering to do this third thing, which is while doing good. We know it's according to his will. We trust that he's a faithful creator, but we're to continue doing good. How? <laughs> well, you, I think you just laid it out. I don't, I don't need to put, it, put much more on that other than I'll give you another one of my jock-isms. It's just any, anybody can be a good teammate when they get four hits. Mm-hmm. I've played with dozens of them. Uh, the, 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 the hardest thing to do is to be in an 0 for 20 and, and still uh, be encouraging. You know, I was laughing at my little Eli, seven-year-old, learning to play the game of golf. And for somebody that has emotional highs and lows, yeah. game of golf is a very tough breeding ground. Like, he is the best to play golf with when he's making pars. Yeah. When he's not, it's like he's off in the cart. You know, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's hilarious. So I'm like, <laughs> hey, dude, anybody can be fun to play with when they're playing good. You know, and so, you know, you look at, you look at what Peter's saying here, like, run to the creator. He's always good. He loves you. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, keep doing good. And, and it's one of these fruits of our faith yeah. that should kind of challenge us. Like, hey, man, when things are going sideways, I need to really keep my, my, my fix on how's my walk? How's my attitude? How am I still loving others? Because it's really – and, I, again, there's grace for yeah. bad seasons and being in dark places. I, but, this isn't a – 
you should always be cheery and rosy. But yeah. like, you know, that's that's the calling. But what a taste uh, or a, a test of where our faith is when we are faced with evil. Are we blessing? Are we doing good? Or are we turned to becoming the evil that we're experiencing? Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. As a as a teammate, as a basketball player, you think. I mean, I go what one for fifteen. You're always on a good in a good shooting mood. day. <laughs> you Am do I great. Good? You do that great. All right, needed some affirmation. <laughs> chapter five, last chapter in First Peter, verses one through four. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That is one way for somebody to introduce themselves. Mm. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What do you see in those first couple verses, Samwise? A lot of shepherd imagery. Verse two, shepherd the flock. Uh, Verse four, the chief shepherd. Um, If you flip back to, to... the Gospel of John, at the very end of it, uh, verse or chapter 21, this is after Jesus has resurrected. He's over on the beach having breakfast. Peter jumps off the boat like a buffoon, swims to shore, right? This is where Jesus restores him, right? After he's denied Jesus three times, then three times Jesus asked me, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, of course. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And again, remembering that this is written a number of decades after Jesus had ascended. So think like that that was this monumental moment where Jesus restored Peter. And so now you look 30 some years later, he's writing to encourage other believers and he's calling them shepherd the flock, shepherd the flock. And you do this under the headship of the chief shepherd. And I just think it's of course a callback to that John 21 passage, but I think it's just so cool to see the faith of a man who walked with Jesus that 30 years later was still hanging on the words and ideas of Jesus mm-hmm. as he commissioned and encouraged others. It's discipleship. Yeah. That's it. Right? That's Disciples it. making disciples. Here's what Jesus told me. Here's what I'm leaving you. That's it. And now you go leave it for others. That's I got how nothing they better the to come up with no. or to, no better way to articulate. I'm just going to give you what I've already mm-hmm. got. That's right. Yeah. So a guy in my man challenge group, I think to kind of make this practical, he's talking to church leaders here, right? Mm. He's saying elders, he's saying church leadership, people who are leading the church. A guy in my man challenge group uh, asked me, he's like, man, how do you decide what pastors are worth listening to, Mm. reading? You know, we live in a very informed age. Lots of people willing to share their opinion, trying to nail book deals. Here's a quick tip. The last 60 pages are always a summary of the first 140. or It's Christian books, man. The last third is what the first two thirds were again. But anyways, he says, how do I know? And this gives us a list of like, here's what godly church leadership looks like. What are some of those characteristics you see and and maybe define those a little bit? Well, I I would just say that like as a member of this church for me, you know, I don't trust this church because it's big Mm. and well, man, there's a bunch of people come here. So it must, they must be doing everything right. I trust I trust the leadership of this church because I, I know them. Not only do I hear their heart and, and see what they invest in, but I also have the, have the uh, good fortune of being able to spend some time, not with all of them, but with enough of them to be able to know their heart. And so I can rest when there's, 
here's the thing, kind of going back to last week of being like-minded. Uh, I can disagree with things that happen here. Like, I'm not always like, oh, yeah, you know, but also I, I've learned to submit. And I trust the leadership of this church where when I'm maybe not completely on board with something, I'll just rest in the fact that I, I trust these, these men to lead our church. That being said, like, confidence and competence in who Jesus is, me. Not like the church, and so I'll just, whatever they do, they do. Uh-huh. I've been called to have confidence and confidence in who Jesus is. And when I do, and I'm praying for wisdom and discernment, I can listen to a sermon, say if we're in that search the web kind of deal, and, uh, and I got to watch my flesh on some of this, but that sounds like a dude who's chasing after Jesus. Those are the priorities of the God of the universe, or they're not. So I would say to your buddy, just again, being practical, like yeah. it's always good to ask a guy, Hey, I sent you guys something. What do you know about this dude? Yeah. You know, I sent that out to a couple of people, but like, you know, trust the people that you know, uh, have a heart for the Lord around you. But also I think God gives wisdom and discernment as we pray for it to where you, your, your heart will, uh, align with yeah. those that he's given you discernment are chasing after him. And he's, he's revealed here that those people are people who lead, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You can tell when a guy's mm-hmm. teaching, mm-hmm. who's this about? Mm-hmm. Uh, not domineering over their char- their, those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. Something I love about leadership here is the integrity with which they lead. That's, you know, from my boss, Ronnie, all the way up to mm-hmm. Kyle and the elders. I never doubt the integrity mm-hmm. of those people. They are benevolent. They are kind. They are thoughtful. They are men who are uh, led by the Lord, which is, yeah, to, you know, if I disagree philosophically, I don't doubt this. I can still trust them as, mm-hmm. as godly leaders. Mm-hmm. But So I would, maybe you can add anything if you want to, but I would kind of summarize, if you're looking for godly leadership, 1 Peter 5 is a great example. There are other places in Titus and in the Timothys to give some more understanding of who's worth following, but that's something practical and, to gain And I would just this. say real quick, like not, a, not making this about a man, but the, the preacher that grew Southeast from somebody's basement to what we see now is the most, here's God's word. This is not about me, but about God's word, Bob Russell, yeah. that I've ever seen preach. Yeah. Um, and the fruit of that continues on with Dave and Kyle. And like, so it's just been a beautiful legacy of like, here's God's word. Here's what it has to say. It's the star of the show. Yeah. And so it's just been beautiful to watch. So he goes on, <clears throat> Peter does in verse five, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I'll stop right there real quick. <laughs> Say, as a young man, it is a godly command for me to look to those men uh, of all ages and experiences beyond mine, these two included, and to subject myself to their wisdom. Am I older than you? Uh, I think six months older oh, than okay. me. Yeah. The reality is they've walked with the Lord longer. Uh, they've, they know what it means to be faithful. The test of endurance is a, an in, incredible part of the Christian faith. For a man, who's, a man who's walked with the Lord for 40 years, we are to look to their wisdom and subject ourselves. Young people can get pretty riled up. But where are we seeking wisdom? Peter's saying, you who are younger, subject yourself to elders. They are older, wiser. They walk with the Lord longer. Come with an open-handed humility, listening, learning, obeying uh, the wisdom that's got, that God can give you through them. He goes on unless you guys want to say other things about young people. Great. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for, here it is, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That last line, Burke, we'll, we'll talk about clothing ourselves with humility in a second, but God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Simple statement. Pregnant with meaning, just loaded. Unpack it for us a little bit. We're going, we're going, um, a little out of order. Yeah, I was about to say, you threw me just, off there. I was, I was really wanting to hear from Sam first. But uh, I, I will just say that the, the Bible says, I think, 22 different times you can, you can find this, that God mm-hmm. opposes the proud mm-hmm. and gives grace. There's a, uh, verses that reference it. Like that. He, he exalts those who humble themselves and humbles those who You can who find some themselves. form yeah, yeah. of this oh, yeah. mantra in, in, throughout Scripture. And like, I don't need to hear it 22 times, but something tells me that if, if you can find it that prevalent throughout Scripture, like, I need to really heed this, Um, but I see it in my life. Mm. When I have pride with my wife, it does not go well. Ever. (laughs) It just doesn't go well. Mm. When When I humbly try to sacrifice and love and see things through her lens, and, and bite my tongue with the understanding of the way she loves me and the way she loves our home is so far and uh, away better than I could ever do. Same. That goes well. That goes well. Um, and so that's just a, just a practical example of how God opposes the pride. Like, Burke, if you're going to be prideful and arrogant with your wife, it ain't going to go well. But if, if you would humble yourself towards loving her the way I want you to, uh, I'll bless that. Yeah, and I've just seen that over and over and over again. I remember Kyle pointed out teaching at Manchon's one time. I, I don't know if it was James, but he pointed something out that I just hadn't caught in reading that a thousand times. Um, God opposes the proud. Like, that's a, Actively. That's a scary... Yeah, like you're not on his team. You're not on his team. Right. And I mean, turns out he's a good point guard. A good, like, yeah, I, I don't want to play be on against... His team. Yes, that's right. To be in a, a, a place where I have putting myself in opposition mm-hmm. bold strategy is yeah enormously risky but also a beautiful exposition of his gospel where he died for us while we were at enmity with him while we were unrighteous while we were still sinners while we opposed him he gives grace and all mm. that sh- that just showers us with the opportunity to be humble and so that's what peter says here clothe yourselves all of you we're talking about teachers we're talking about young people now we've hit the gamut all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Sam, do you have a quote? I do. And I have to read this, man. The <laughs> first time I read this, understand. golly, it's so good. Again, keeping in mind, it's so easy when we read Scripture to, uh, to read something and just instantly sit back and say, man, how's that hit me? How's that hit you? What do you mm-hmm. think about that? Mm-hmm. And that's a great practice. But to, to keep in context and in mind who is writing and to whom they are writing in this specific time in history, Peter is commanding, clothe yourselves in humility. So listen to this quote from from Moody. Clearly, Peter had learned humility the hard way. His pride had been crushed by the denials that shamed his boasting, but Peter sees humility as deeper than the leveling of pride. He finds it in the free humiliation of his Lord. Not only in taking the towel and basin when Jesus washed their feet, but in taking the cross. This is the lowliness that calls us to humble service. Christian humility will be mocked as Jesus' humiliation on the cross was. Mm. Remember, Peter was a dude who was humbled. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon Barjona, like, oh, so good. Uh, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Like, very next thing. Yeah. 
He's the dude who's like swinging the sword, chopping off ears in the garden, ready to fight. Like, I'm going to go to war with you or for you. And next thing you know, he's denying him three times. Like, I don't even know you. Like, with just some people around a fire. Like, this dude was humiliated. And what did Jesus do? He restored him. We talked mm-hmm. about that. Uh, Peter learned humility by just having his pride crushed. But when he looks to Jesus, he sees the free humiliation that Jesus took upon himself. But scripture says he didn't just put on flesh and didn't just die, but death on a cross. Like Jesus got on hit the ground and washed their dirty feet in the upper room before he knew he was going to go get hung on a cross for their real dirtiness, their sin. And Peter sees that imagery. He sees the person work of Jesus for who he is, the son of the living God. And in the light of that, he says to his, his fellow believers, clothe yourselves in humility. Look like Jesus. Look what he did. That is what we are called to. Like there's power in mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But Bert, get more practical than well, that. Well, no, probably. I was just, that was beautiful. I, I would just say like, you know, I was thinking about the word humility and humiliated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we want to not get humiliated. You might want to clothe yourself in humility. That is uh, your word. Yeah, either be humble or be humbled. <laughs> yeah, pursue humility or be humiliated. And I, I would just say like, as somebody that, that um, you know, just struggles with the, the, fleshly sin of pride, like, I just love the language of clothing ourselves in humility. Like, the action of putting humility on, like, we put our clothes on. I was put talking your jersey to, on. I was talking to my boys about this morning. Like, hey, come here. Here's our word for the day. Like, you know how you, you get dressed every day, take your pajamas off, put on your clothes? Like, God is calling us to do that with humility. My oldest boy, Jackson, like, Sarah and I really struggle with him, like, because he can have this it helps him in some regards, but in other regards, it's like, you're, dude, you're 10. <laughs> like, your mom is your authority. Quit talking to her like that. Mm. Like, humble yourself. Say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right? So you need to, cl- but here's, there's my plug. We've talked about this some. This is the plug for spending time with God every morning. Because the act of carving out time for, for God first is an act of humility. Amen. And then in that, asking God to clothe, to help you put that cloth of humility on. Uh, for me, that's my only shot to have any kind of success in this. So the, the verbiage of clothing ourselves in it and starting our day with that process, um, it'll bear good fruit in our lives, I'm sure of it. Yeah. We need to, to keep moving. Verse 6, he, he continues that theme of humility, and he has throughout the entire letter, right? He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. And there's that image again that uh, mm-hmm. Jesus talks about in Matthew 23, 12. He says, those who are humbled will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. It's this subverted economy. We want to make ourselves known. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, know me, right? That, that just is very distinct, set apart. What Peter's writing to set apart people, mm-hmm. very distinct in our current day and age just as well. And verse seven says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Mm-hmm. And remember, he's writing to an oppressed people. And he says, humble yourselves, but also know that you've got a God who knows and cares. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Hebrews four last week. We don't have a savior who is unable to sympathize with us in our sufferings. He cares. He's a brother in our suffering. He's a, a father in our suffering. We've got a triune God. He's a counselor in our suffering. That's Father, Spirit, Son right there represented in how we are to experience the worries that these people were facing, right? 
They didn't have an earthly inheritance. They didn't have earthly standing. Mm. They had much to be anxious about. And he says, throw those on my lap. I'm not an apathetic father. I care for you. And he says in verses eight and nine, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Love those lines. Really, really, uh, I feel like Mel Gibson should have said it on a horseback, painted blue, right? Resist him. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. Be firm in your faith. Be watchful. How? Oh, we, we, I think these are, we get amped about these. How do we do these things? What does it mean to be a watchful Christian standing firm in their faith? I'll jump in first. So I, we had just talked about leaders of a church and what to watch for, what to look for, uh, to be examples to the flock. So we have some practical things like that. Uh, this this idea of sober-mindedness kind of keeps coming up. We just saw it in, in 4.7, and yeah. now we're seeing it uh, in 5.8. So there's something very uh, practical about being sober-minded so that you can be aware. So sobriety is an important piece in this puzzle. Yeah, both in uh, the terms of alcohol or drugs, but also in, you know, you can... You clarity can be, of you, mind. Yeah, you, sure. you can be drunk on fame. You can be oh, drunk yeah, yeah, on yeah. success, right, right, whatever. Go ahead. No, I, we've talked about the suffering these people have been enduring, and we said a lot of it was probably Nero at the time, the emperor, so there could be some kind of... Go- human institution that's coming after them. And Peter hadn't had a whole lot of, 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 hadn't had a whole lot to say about the spiritual side of things. He, he has in terms of the suffering of Christ and what it's accomplished. But now, instead of talking about an enemy being a, a people group, he's talking about our spiritual enemy. And right as he's commissioning these, these people and sending them off uh, to go and do what he's already talked about and to be who he's called them saying they're called to be, he's reminding them of their enemy, uh, which I think is, uh, for men, we need to know who our enemy is for sure. If you flip back just a couple pages and you're in the book of James, he, he says very similarly, remember uh, in 5.5, in five, he's just said, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, then he goes into this piece. James uh, 4.6, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. So it's the same, same setup. So it requires humility. That's obviously a piece of this puzzle. But I love how James says it. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Resist the enemy. He'll flee from you. So the greatest, the greatest thing we can do in opposition to our enemy is draw near to our Savior. So we even answered the question before we asked it. You said that. Are we yeah. drawing near in humility to the foot of our Lord? Mm. That's it. Every day. That's what resisting looks like mm. and being aware of our enemy. Yeah, you don't want to underestimate an enemy in war. You're going to get tackled. Sure. And he says in verse 10. Well, the devil's real and he's prowling around. Yeah. Like just, you got to be aware of that. Yeah. Like it, that's, three of us have, have, have experienced a brother who went through that recently. Like, yeah. That's, that's not flowery language. The devil's real. He's prowling around. He's looking for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he's not obsessed with that idea. He's not only talking about that idea, but that is an important yeah. piece of this. And he's like, you should know. Mm-hmm. Be aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, 
she's closing this letter. After you've suffered, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's he closing this exhortation with, Sam? I think the same way he opened. Like, he says, verse 10, he called you. The God of all grace, he called you. Remember the very beginning, how we opened? To those who are, are the elect, elect exiles, those who are called. He's like, remember, God called you. And so he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish. Uh, and First Peter 1, kind of paraphrasing 3 through 4, uh, we are born again to a living hope that is kept in heaven for us, guarded through faith, re- will be revealed. God's the one who chose us. He picked us. And he's the one who will secure our eternal inheritance. And he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish. So if he says he's going to do it, not only can we trust that he will do it because he's faithful, but he can do it because he's all-powerful, as we've talked about. So the encouragement in this is, again, going back to where we opened. God has chosen us. He's promised us eternally what he's going to do and provide So in the midst of our suffering, we can and will endure for his glory. We look like Jesus in this world, and we can trust our our just God, our faithful creator, throughout the time that we have on this life, no matter how long or short that is, because he himself will accomplish what he has set out to do through us. Yeah. Yeah. Then he finishes the entire letter, as we do as man challenge men. By Sylvanus, verse 12 here, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Mm. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So uh, a couple of things I want to catch there. By Sylvanus, he's saying, um, likely Peter had a word called an amanuensis, meaning Sylvanus, his buddy, wrote for him. Big Scribe. word. Scribe. Uh, people talk about really flowery the language. says, with the help of Silas. Okay, different name translation. That's not, yeah, that's okay. Basically, he's got a buddy writing for him. He's talking out loud. He's saying, write this to my friends. Which was common practice. Yeah. Common practice at that time. And this guy is yeah. writing as fast as he can. Uh, another thing you see here, he sends greetings from um, Babylon. She who is at Babylon, basically what he's saying is the church in Rome, a, a symbol or symbolic term for the church in Rome, the people here love you guys. We're saying, hey, we miss you all. And so does Mark, my son. And we started this semester of man challenge in the gospel of Mark, which we said was likely the story of Peter as written down by Mark. This is just some more evidence for that. But he says this really that? important line, declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. Peace to you who are in Christ. He's looking at a people who are suffering, who are oppressed, who are marginalized. And he says, fix your gaze on the cross. Have you men ever considered that the symbol of Christianity, the cross, represents suffering and humiliation? Hmm. And Jesus says in Mark 8, you're called to pick this up and follow me. And so he says, brothers and sisters, uh, your suffering is inevitable, but there's a, a God who knows, who cares, is able to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Put your hope in him eternally. And so I pray, man, as we wrap this series, that you would be able to do exactly that. Have the peace 
to all of us that comes through the access of the hope, uh, the living hope through a, a God who loves you and proved himself faithful by dying for you on a cross, paying for your sins, the righteous for the unrighteous and being raised into eternity, bringing us men with him. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, you are good and we are grateful for our brother Peter to have been changed by you. For the man who said to Jesus, hey, you're not supposed to suffer, you're God. How he was transformed into the man who tells us, hey, suffering is, mm. is inevitable. But you're a chosen people of God. And that God is, is loving, he is caring, he is just and righteous, but he is faithful to give you exactly what you need. And so Father, uh, Son and Spirit, we look to you in trust, knowing that you give us exactly what we need. Would you help us um, live in obedience to that as we come to, kn to know and, and uh, believe that these things are true? Mm. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good semester. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 